Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Arlene Graham, Dave Skelhorn, Sarah, Kisa Hargett, Lauren Losh, Lois Duff, Amy Dreyer, Elizabeth Eremus, Jake Gilbert, Talia Kemp, Graffiti, John Prince, and Ryan Hoskin. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week. Our film review is The Wind. The Wind was released in 2018. It has 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb and 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Lizzie is a tough, resourceful frontierswoman settling in a remote stretch of land on the 19th century American frontier. Isolated from civilization in a desolate wilderness where the wind never stops howling, she begins to sense a sinister presence that seems to be born of the land itself. An overwhelming dread that her husband dismisses as superstition. When a newlywed couple arrives at a nearby homestead, their presence amplifies Lizzie's fears, setting into motion a shocking chain of events. So last week I said, I'm going to try and keep this film review short and I ended up rambling on for seven minutes. So today we're going to try and deliver on the promises that I make and actually keep this film review short. I'm going to start with the things that I really liked about this film. Firstly, it was an amazing setting for a horror film. The isolation of the prairie was really quite striking. And then the constant wind, you could really get a sense that that wind would start to sound like something or would start to take on different voices if you were listening to it all the time in that loneliness and isolation. It was almost like the entire prairie itself took on the role of the haunted house in like a gothic horror. Loved it. What a great setting for a film, honestly. I also love a film with a strong female protagonist and Lizzie is that. She is tough as nails and she's out there living on the frontier with her husband and they both equally work hard and learn how to work on the land and she's a really good character I liked her a lot the biggest plus about this film is that they kept the monster subtle and chose not to show it and I always think that's such a brilliant choice in horror films. We say this all the time, that the minute you see the monster, it becomes less and less scary. But the ambiguity of the monster in this movie really adds to the scare factor. To the point where I had to pause it in the middle of watching the film to go upstairs to get something. And I was genuinely freaked out that I had to go upstairs. And I thought, oh, what if something happens? What if there's something in the house? What if I start seeing things or hearing things or getting a sense that something's there? So it really shook me when I was watching it. And kind of the true horror of this film, I thought, is imagine you're living in the wilderness. Everything is a bit frightening anyway. You are battling with the land itself because it's quite unforgiving. And you're also battling with this threat of unseen forces. And then you get neighbours to break the isolation and guess what they're freaks what are the chances of that I'd be thinking oh really this is literally just the last straw I'm out here after suffering all this tragedy trying to make things work and the neighbours that I end up getting are freaks and we can't even have a normal dinner what are the chances so what were the things that I didn't like about this film Well, I'm not sure if this first one should go in the didn't like category. It was very bloody and intense in the beginning. 
And that's very subjective. So it's not really fair that it should go in the didn't like category. But I would recommend doing a does the dog die.com check before you watch this film because it might be quite difficult for some people to watch. The other thing I didn't like that is possibly quite subjective is that I found the time jumps quite difficult. So the film kind of moves from the past to the present quite fluidly. But I found it quite difficult at times to ascertain as to where it was in the timeline. However, in saying that, there were comments on Instagram and Facebook, I think, that really applauded the way that it moved through time quite seamlessly. So it is very, very possible that this is just a case of my brain struggling to concentrate while I was watching the film and therefore finding it confusing. So that might just be a me thing. And the final thing that I found lacking was that I really wanted more from the characters. I wanted more backstory or a greater depth to them. And I recognise after watching it that it was probably an intellectual choice to have very little like character exposition. And in, and, and sometimes in horror films, you do end up with these really disingenuous sort of static moments of exposition that don't really fit in with the normal dialogue of the story but they're sort of shoved in there so that we learn more about the characters so I don't I don't didn't want that but I I just wanted to learn something more about the past of the characters or I wanted to understand more about their lives but I guess that probably was an intellectual choice to add to the ambiguity and the reality that if you were just landed in this situation you wouldn't learn all about these characters So I think this film is perfect for fans of films like The Witch, that atmospheric horror that's really psychological. And I hate using the phrase elevated horror because after watching Scream, (laughs) it almost seems like a really pretentious thing to say, but it did feel a bit like elevated horror. I'm going to give it four stars. Really enjoyed it. Would recommend. Which brings us to our story this week. We are going to be going from one wilderness to another and early in the Patreon episodes we talked about Skinwalker Ranch. It was a very very long time ago but we did a little skim over the surface of Skinwalker Ranch. Today we're not going to be talking about Skinwalker Ranch but we're going to be talking about another place that is similar. This has been on my list of episodes to do for a really really long time so let's get into it. At some point in our lives, we all imagine our dream home. It might be a fleeting fancy or a sustained goal, but we all inevitably think about the perfect place that we would love to live. For some people, it's a New York City apartment with floor to ceiling windows. For others, it's a mountain villa in Greece. And for John Edmonds, it was a ranch. All he wanted was a sprawling remote ranch and he spent his life dreaming of it. In 1996, John Edmonds realised his dream. He had worked and sweated his whole life, and finally, he had enough to buy a ranch just outside Phoenix in Arizona. John was so determined to buy this ranch that he never owned another property, and showed up to buy the ranch with cash. His dream was to be able to own a ranch and turn it into a sanctuary for injured and unwanted horses. Every penny he had earned had been pumped into his dream and it was finally becoming a reality. John Edmonds and his wife Joyce were the proud owners of the Stardust Ranch. 
We talk about haunted houses a lot on this show. And often everything begins peacefully enough with a slow descent into a paranormal nightmare. But this was not the case for the Stardust Ranch. John had gotten the keys and made his way to the ranch to take his first tour around as the new proud owner. When he slid the keys into the lock and opened the door, he was met with an unexpected sight and his excitement quickly turned to frustration. The previous owners had left everything behind. It was as though they had just popped out to get something and would soon be arriving back bewildered as to why there was a strange man in their home. John was frustrated because he couldn't now move his own furniture in. He didn't want to throw out the belongings of another family just in case there had been a mix-up in dates or a failure in communication. There was no way they would have just left and left everything behind. Was there? John immediately contacted the real estate agent to inform him that the belongings had been left behind and therefore he was unable to move into the house. At this point, John suspected nothing untoward. He just saw the event as an inconvenience, a small bump in the road to his dream. The realtor was wildly apologetic and told John that he would contact the previous occupiers immediately and asked John to vacate the property for five or six hours to give everyone a chance to mobilise and get the issue sorted. John agreed and left the property to run some errands and returned hours later and this time it was empty. John breathed a sigh of relief. He had to hand it to them. It was quick work by the realtor and the previous owners. He made his way to the window, finally able to feel as though he was surveying his own land. And what he saw filled him with rage. Someone was clearly trying to annoy him. Piled high in the swimming pool outside were the belongings of the family. Everything. Furniture, ornaments, clothes, all piled up in the swimming pool, flung in with wild abandon. John was furious. This wasn't what he had in mind, and he called the realtor demanding an explanation. The realtor was silent for a moment and then said, John, I haven't been able to get in contact with the previous owners. They didn't do this. So who... Or what did. It was not a wonderful start to John's dream, but he prevailed. And things did not get better. Like all house moves, there were many odd jobs that needed doing, and utility changes that needed to be made, and some were outside of John's realm of expertise. Time and time again, John booked for various tradespeople to come and do work for him, and they would never show. Try as he might, he just couldn't get anyone to come and do the jobs he needed doing. Until one day, he managed to get a hold of a man to come and do his landline installation. Again, John breathed a sigh of relief when he saw the van trundling down the dirt road to the ranch. He might finally get somewhere after all of his bad luck. He busied himself, waiting for the knock on the door from the man. Half an hour passed and John realised that he was still sitting outside the ranch in his van. Puzzled, John went out and approached the van door wondering what was keeping him from doing the job. He noticed the man was sitting in the driver's seat, pale and sweaty, 
and his knuckles were still gripping the steering wheel, white with the intensity of his grip. John knocked on the door and asked him if he was okay. He opened the door. I can't be here. It's this place. It's not safe. No one comes here. Don't you know what happened here? The last family, their son just killed himself and no one knows why. It's this place. People say it's cursed. I'm sorry, I have to leave. He slammed the door shut and sped away back down the dirt track. The days passed and John was puzzled by the events at the house. He still didn't think there was anything nefarious happening at this point. He believed that a series of tragic events had led to the local people developing superstitions about the property and he was now seeing the results of that. He mused over the move one evening sitting on his porch. The Arizona heat was still crackling in the air when in the distance he saw the shadowy outline of a figure moving steadily towards the house. John immediately felt uneasy and his hand reached for the revolver. He wasn't expecting anyone to arrive and he could see that as the figure got closer, they were holding something long and metallic. John thought about his options and decided that the best option was to meet the person head on. It was a man and he looked weather-beaten and life-beaten. His face was lined with hardships. He was wearing army fatigues and the silvery glint had come from a machete. They faced off for a moment. I worked for the last family. They paid me to hunt the monsters. This was not what John expected the man to say and he fought to keep his expression neutral, keenly aware of the weapon in the man's hand. I haven't seen any monsters so I won't be needing your help, he told the man firmly and calmly. The man stood for a moment and then burst into mocking laughter and turned to walk away but not before he looked John square in the eye and said, You'll be sorry. And with that, he retreated into the darkness. Time passed, and John and Joyce had a steady stream of horses, and it seemed that the ranch dream was becoming a reality, despite the shaky start. Life on the ranch was busy and hard, but it was what they had always dreamed of, and the earlier trepidation was slowly being taken over by a deep contentment. It wasn't until the damage began that John began to realise that the ranch may be more complex than he had thought. He would be awoken in the dead of night by a metallic humming, and try as he might, he could find no source for it, but the damage on the farm began to become more and more evident. Large metal fence posts would be ripped out of the ground and twisted and bent out of shape. These fence posts were thick and solid and designed to keep horses in and other animals out. It would be impossible for any human being to rip them out of the ground and distort them in the way that John kept finding them. He was completely baffled but was convinced there had to be some reasonable explanation. That was until he found one of his horses dead. One of the heavy iron posts had been somehow twisted and wrapped around the horse's neck, choking it to death. Damage to the property was frustrating and time-consuming, but this was the turning point for John. He couldn't stand the thought of anyone hurting his animals, and he was distraught. 
He sat at the farmhouse table, devastated, and telling Joyce the terrible news. When she burst into floods of tears too. Something is wrong here, John. There's something in the house. I can feel things watching me all the time. I thought it was just imagination at first, and so I never said anything. But now I can see them. These shadowy figures watching me out of the corner of my eye. That was enough for John. He reassured Joyce that she was overtired, worrying too much about the vandalism, and that it was playing havoc with her mind. But in actuality, he was really concerned. He couldn't understand what had killed his horse. It was so senseless, but also seemed impossible. Was somebody messing with him and Joyce? Did people not want them on the ranch? He quietly placed weapons around the farmhouse at an easy reaching distance, afraid that someone was entering the house without them realising, and he continued life on the ranch, unsure of how to stop or deter the seemingly invisible vandal. The ranch had been quiet, and John lay awake listening to the peaceful snores of Joyce beside him. He was hoping that the vandalism on the farm had indeed stopped for good, when he saw movement out of the corner of his eye. The shadows on the wall seemed to be moving and forming into shapes, and he watched in horror as three figures emerged from the shadows full-bodied in his bedroom. They moved silently across the room towards his sleeping wife, and John felt the panic in his chest turn to rage. Whoever this was, he was not going to live in fear and allow them into his house. He groped on the floor for the aluminium bat that he kept beside his bed, and he never took his eyes off the figures. His fingers closed around the bat and with a leap and a roar he launched himself towards the figures swinging wildly. He felt the twang of the bat as it made contact with the fleshy body of one of the figures. It emitted a high-pitched shriek and the three figures vanished. Joyce sat up in shock to see her husband breathing heavily staring into thin air with the metal bat raised above his head. John called the police to tell them that there were intruders in his home. The police arrived and they found no signs of forced entry and no signs that anyone had been in the home at all. John felt as though he was going insane. He knew something was happening on his ranch. He had heard the whispers that the land was cursed and that was why no one would conduct any repair work for him. At night time, John would often see strange black crafts hovering above the ranch or appearing and disappearing in the night sky. Almost each time this happened, they would be closely followed by military aircraft that seemed to be monitoring whatever was appearing. And the visitors from the shadows continued. John began to grow used to how they moved around the ranch and the patterns in their behaviour. They always moved in groups of three, and locked doors and windows were no barrier to them. They were approximately three to four feet tall and their skin was icy cold. John had entered into some sort of battle with the supernatural occupants of the ranch. When he managed to get close enough to wound the creatures with his machete, they would bleed a fluid that he described as being like brake fluid. His rescued Rottweilers would regularly chase and attack the intruders. But John noticed that if they ever managed to bite the creatures the Rottweilers would die almost immediately, like their blood was made of acid. 
The battle raged on and John was perpetually exhausted. One night he awoke, filled with dread and realised that the bedroom was flooded with light. He sat up to see a beam of light shining through the window onto Joyce, who was being slowly lifted from the bed, still in a deep sleep. John panicked and ran from the bedroom, rifle in hand, and sprinted outside, firing the rifle at the object emitting the light. He heard the pinging sound of bullets hitting metal, and eventually a black craft silently sped away from the ranch and into the night sky. And it wasn't just creatures in the night sky and strange crafts that were plaguing the Edmonds' home. John became convinced that the ranch was some sort of interdimensional portal, that something on the ranch was allowing entities to slip in and out of dimensions and time periods. One night, while sitting at home watching TV, John and Joyce were alarmed to hear the sound of feet stomping through the house. The sound of marching. It was unlike anything they had ever experienced before, and they both moved to the hallway to see who was in the house, believing wholeheartedly that this time someone had broken in. They watched in a mixture of horror and confusion as two Roman centurions marched through the house. They seemed completely unaware of their surroundings and marched through the wall and disappeared. Another time, they heard the sounds of children playing in the house. They didn't have any children in the house, so this obviously was alarming. They went to check and saw two children dressed in the clothes of peasants from the Middle Ages, chasing each other through the wall. John and Joyce also claimed that they would regularly hear strange sounds on the ranch. They would regularly be working on the ranch and suddenly hear the sound of a busy marketplace. And not only that, they would suddenly smell an array of spices and meats and perfumes. And they could never figure out where these sounds or smells came from. They would start suddenly and end just as suddenly. And all of this solidified John's theory that there was some sort of portal on the ranch. But John and Joyce were now living in fear. Joyce would handcuff herself to the bed at night time for fear that she would be taken. And both John and Joyce would separately experience large chunks of missing time and often wake up with deep lacerations, wounds that they had no memory of but would appear semi-healed as though they had been there for some time. So they would go to bed as normal and then wake up with a semi-healed wound that wasn't there the night before. Eventually, feeling as though he had no choice, John went to the media. He pleaded for anybody out there to help him. He invited research teams to the ranch and participated in television interviews, but nothing changed. In 2016, John admitted defeat and him and Joyce sold the Stardust Ranch and moved away. I appreciate that this story is wild and that some people listening will be listening with raised eyebrows. Believe me, I am too. But there is something about this story that really gets to me and I'm not entirely sure why. Gina Irons came forward after John went public with his story. She had lived in the ranch in the 1970s and her and her family recalled regularly seeing figures moving from room to room, rapid and inexplicable dramatic temperature changes and a feeling of always being watched in the house. 
Research teams that were stationed at the ranch claimed to have seen thin humanoid figures running through the undergrowth and when the area was searched, they found a strange circular stone which has a perfect star shape cut into it, almost like it was cut with some sort of sophisticated laser machinery. In 2016, there was a web chat interview with John Edmonds that was published on the internet. The interview is completely standard and looks to be taking place over Skype or Zoom or something similar. But there is a moment in the interview where something, a creature that looks to be small and grey, peeps its head around a corner behind John Edmonds. And the moment is captured on the live chat. John doesn't notice at the time and nor does the interviewer and it only came to light when the footage was reviewed. And then there was William Levengood, a biologist who agreed to work with John Edmonds if he could get him tissue or fluid samples from these creatures. John managed to get him 11 samples of fluid and Levengood contacted John later with the results. The fluid was unlike any DNA of a living creature on Earth but it seemed to resemble something similar to chlorophyll and this same substance had been discovered at the site of cattle mutilations all over the world. Levengood wanted himself and John to make a public statement about their findings. But William Levengood and his wife died and his lab burnt down. John Edmonds claimed that he was then visited by the men in black who told him that it was in his best interest to stay quiet about the events on the ranch. John Edmonds is no doubt a very interesting man to listen to and comes across as a credible witness. And Arizona itself is a hotbed of UFO activity. So maybe there is some truth in this story. Is it possible that the curse on Stardust Ranch is actually a portal that allows interdimensional travel? Or is it a tall tale used to sell a property? What an absolutely wild ride that was. There are definitely elements of this story that I missed because there is so much interview material with John Edmonds to troll through. So I just sort of stuck with it like an overview of the story and included some bits that he had spoken about in interviews himself. And I just don't even know where to start. Okay, so let's start with things that are factual about this story. I've read lots of stuff about the inclusion of William Levengood, the supposed biologist who worked with John Edmonds in this story and then he died and the sample was lost. And people are often really dismissive about this part of the story and they say like, oh yeah, this mysterious scientist who suddenly disappeared when he got involved and took all the samples with him. But I guess it's important to note that William Levengood was actually a real scientist. So he was known as Lefty and was renowned for his research into crop circles and other UFO adjacent phenomena. And he died of old age. So I think he was 88 when he died. And his wife then died very soon afterwards, which actually isn't unusual to have an older person die and their spouse die relatively soon afterwards. Couldn't find information about his lab burning down or the samples going missing. That part of the story changes quite a lot, which does give me question marks about it. So we have some stories say that the lab burnt down. Other stories say that like the only samples that were lost were the samples from John Edmonds Ranch. I don't know, but either way, Lefty Levengood was a real person and he did study crop circles and UFO adjacent phenomena. Did he work with John Edmonds? I'm not entirely sure. I'll also post pictures of the stone on social media. So I briefly mentioned in the story 
that a stone was found on the property and allegedly it was like geographically impossible for that stone to be there by natural means and it has a perfect star or sun shape cut out in the stone. I mean, it is quite cool to look at. I'm not entirely sure what it proves or disproves about the Stardust Ranch, but it is an unusual item or an artefact to find. Ghost Adventures went to the Stardust Ranch. They did an episode about it. And I'm pretty sure they featured or talked about this stone in that episode. That episode of Ghost Adventures is wild. And I think it was one of the turning point episodes for me because they went and their conclusion was that the aliens or whatever the creatures were that were on Stardust Ranch weren't actually aliens. They were demons in disguise. And that was the point where I thought, listen, come on now, this story is mad enough as it is. We don't need to make it any more ridiculous. It just was such a bizarre conclusion to come to and really made me, it made it almost feel like Ghost Adventures was becoming like a satire of itself. But within that episode, there is a clip of the video interview that John Edmonds did where allegedly there was creatures peeking around the corner. So I'll post that in the description of this episode, that link, so that you can watch it. But I think if you YouTube, like John Edmonds, video alien or something along those lines you will find the video that I'm talking about it's also important to say as well that John Edmonds took drug tests to prove that he wasn't doing drugs at the time of these supposed attacks and he also wasn't doing drugs at the time of telling this story so I don't think drugs come in come into play in this story so those bits aside I think it's time to ask some very serious questions about this story Firstly, I hate being this person, but I'm going to have to be this person for a second. Anytime I post a video on TikTok, people fall over themselves in the comments to comment something along the lines of what you're telling me this happened and nobody took out the phone and took a picture, which ordinarily I find very frustrating as a comment because most of the incidents that we talk about on the podcast or even I post about on TikTok They are individual instances that happen over a short period of time. So it might be a glance of something, you might get a sighting of something or some weird event happens over the space of, you know, a couple of minutes, maybe a couple of hours max. However, this story takes place from 1996 to 2016. So it is a sustained attack over a long period of time. And if these phenomena these events were so rampant and the way John Edmonds talks about it he's like running around this ranch with a samurai sword macheteing aliens left right and center that's that that's what that's the way he talks about it. and weird stuff happening constantly all of the time animals going missing crafts in the sky military everywhere like this is a this is a lot of stuff happening and somehow somehow there is very limited video or picture evidence of these events. Because if I was John Edmonds living on that ranch for 20 years, I would be getting myself a body cam and every time I went out to machete, chop an alien in half, I'd have that body camera on, I'd be ready. And I know that's a really frustrating point to make because it does really, it really makes me roll my eyes when people's first response is, you saw a ghost, why didn't you take a picture? Because actually that's often not what people do in the moment when they get a shock or they see something that's really frightened. Their first response is to maybe run or try and hide. But most people's first response is not to take an Instagram story of the event that's unfolding before you. But John Edmonds had 20 years of this. 20 years. And 20 years of improvements in technology. 
I just feel like there would be more evidence. He also claims to have killed numerous creatures but that the bodies would disappear immediately after he killed them. So he actively tried to like behead them because he thought that that might stop them from disappearing. And that all feels both convenient and like a sci-fi movie. There's also a lot that can be said about John Edmonds and maybe his mental health and the relationship between him and his wife. You know, questions have been asked about it being some sort of shared psychosis or a psychosis on John's part or delusions or an unhealthy relationship between the two of them. Like there's lots of questions floating around out there about his mental health. I don't know anything about John Edmonds outside of the Stardust Ranch. I don't know anything about his life or what he does outside of the fact that he rescues horses and animals, which is a very admirable thing to do and apparently fights aliens in his free time. So you can't comment on his mental health or his history of mental health or the relationship between him and his wife without having a full picture of the person that he is and the person that he was before going to Stardust Ranch. So I'm going to put it out there that obviously it's very easy to sit here and question his mental health. And I've read a lot of articles and listened to a lot of theories about his mental health that have kind of made these sweeping statements that he is definitely suffering from this or he is definitely suffering from that. And because we don't know the whole picture, I don't think it's very fair to say. So I just wanted to reference it and say, yes, I'm aware there could be mental health issues, but also draw a line under it and say we're not in a position without all of the information to be able to understand the psyche of this man and his wife. But when you listen to interviews with John Edmonds, he's a very credible witness. And I really mean that, like you listen to him talk and you almost get lulled into this false sense of forgetting that you're talking about a man with a machete fighting aliens on a ranch in the middle of America. And because his narrative is genuinely so credible, he is self-assured, he sounds like he's telling the truth, he sounds like he is fully on board with what he himself is saying. His story doesn't really alter that much, it doesn't seem to have changed that much in different interviews that I listened to with him. So you are drawn into this story. But while listening to interviews with him, he makes reference to what I would consider very destructive and dangerous conspiracy theories and talks about these conspiracy theories as if they are absolute fact. The other thing that was interesting in interviews that he gave was that he regularly references the fact that he really enjoys fighting and killing these aliens, which to me seemed really strange. It was such a strange thing to say that he found it as like a stress releaser, that he could go and fight and kill these aliens, and he enjoyed the hunt, he enjoyed when he inflicted pain on them. And he almost spoke about it in a very sort of bragging way. And he said repeatedly in interviews that I listened to with him, he said, you know, I don't mean to brag about the fact that I've killed all these aliens. Like, I'm not bragging about it. But he definitely then goes on to brag about it, the fact that he enjoys killing these aliens and he gets a real thrill from the hunt. He also maintained in an interview that government officials brought him an extraterrestrial and he sat and interviewed and conversed with this extraterrestrial for four hours. You can do with that information what you will, but even saying it out loud has made me raise my own non-existent eyebrows. So he seems to be in these interviews a very complex man. When you start listening to him, he's very believable. He's very charismatic. It's very easy to listen to the story and think, wow, this man is telling the truth and he's gone through this really crazy situation. And then he drops into conversation every so often these pretty outlandish conspiracy theories, things about 
you know, sitting and having an interview with an alien for four hours, things about how much he enjoys killing these creatures and things about the hordes of women that come to the ranch or that used to come to the ranch to try and be groupies. All of that very questionable. And then, of course, there's the simple possibility that this is actually about money. So the Skinwalker Ranch was very famously sold for a lot of money and used as a research base. Stardust Ranch was sold, I believe, for $5 million when it was sold in 2016. So is it possible that John Edmonds saw what happened on Skinwalker Ranch and thought, I can live my dream and then I can sell the ranch for five times more than it's worth or five times more than I bought it for by telling these outlandish stories about it? And really leaning into this character of this man who just wanted to have a normal life and then was harassed by alien life that was outside of his control. And he just leaned into that and stayed going with the storytelling and eventually sold the ranch for way more than it was than it was originally bought for. And I don't know is the answer. I have lots of theories about this. I think there probably was local rumours, local conversation about a curse on the land because of unfortunate events or weird things that had happened there. And we know that these isolated places, places like the wilderness in Arizona, are places where weird things have been reported to happen. So maybe strange things did happen on the ranch and maybe John Edmonds saw it as a financial opportunity. I will post the pictures of The Rock and some general pictures of Stardust Ranch on Instagram and on Facebook and on Patreon. The links to the videos that I talk about in this episode will be in the description of this episode and also the links to any of the sources that I used. This story is such a deep dive of a story. It will You will find endless material about this story online and everybody has their own theories and opinions on it. So it's well worth having a deep dive into if you are interested. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to know more about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can do so by logging on to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. I'm really not good at advertising the stuff that I do elsewhere. I also have a YouTube channel where I recently posted a video about going to a seance which is some nice, easy watching if anybody is interested. And that's Real Life Ghost Stories podcast on YouTube. And on that note, I will see you next week. <laughs>